Look at the adjective. Play. Now is the franchise going to take the Viagra? Oh, going to put the butts in the seat. Hello there, wrestling fans, and welcome to episode number 89 of Because WCW, the podcast where the big boys play. My name is the Twisted Genius, Dean Ayers, and I'm joined as ever by sports journalist for Zone. Hooked on wrestling and wherever else, Charlton Athletic, he does stuff for he's everywhere. He's like like a rat, you're never more than four feet away from him. Liam Happ, good evening to you. Yeah, well, as the, uh, the the old saying famously goes, Dean, I am a jack of all trades and a master of all of them, because I'm great. I see, I see, that's how great he really is, folks. <laughs> and how are you doing today? How am I doing, Dean? I'm doing great, and do you know why? Tell me why. Today was my day i was to, to quote a famous wcw character today i was the chosen one because today i finally landed a playstation 5 oh. the much elusive playstation 5 the, the the long queues when supply drops are slowly getting shorter or at the very least they're getting to the point where more people are likely to be lucky you know people getting theirs and finally i was able to get it. i'm very happy because it means i'll have it in place just in time for mlb 21 which is one of my favorite games to play and i won't hear that bloody noise anymore and for those of you who don't own a playstation 4 basically what it is is after a little while like a year or so the playstation 4s would famously start to overheat on the regular so the fans would make a really loud whirring noise that people would equate with a plane taking off having that play having that sound play every time you're uh, trying to enjoy your game is is not ideal so i will not miss that sodding so noise I, I thought you were referring to your daughter. I thought you meant you put some headphones in. You can't yeah. hear her asking you to, you know, Daddy, get me this. Daddy, get me that. I am stuck with that noise for life, unfortunately. Oh, but, OK, fair enough. But I do also want to get a Nintendo Switch very soon. I still don't have one. And I think she'd love that. She's getting to the right age now to play a bit of Nintendo Switch with her dear old dad. I see. You see, I'm, I, I, I can contemplate the uh, PlayStation 5, but I, uh, I, I just don't really have uh, time or inclination to play games these days i have to say i think i have reached the point sadly where i am getting too old for this shit i thought it was because you absolutely sucked at fifa and didn't want there the is that as well there is that as well obviously the only reason that i suck at fifa is because it's all rigged it is all rigged yeah i mean i oh, don't think a... the two, i don't think the two are linked but it is all rigged. it's all rigged yeah Good. Glad, glad we're uh, glad we're agreed on that. Now, today um, we have uh, a very special episode, um, which comes to you. Uh, the content which comes to you from from our mainly from our our Twitter page. Um, which, if you don't follow us already, you can go to Twitter at because WCW. Yeah, what's um, wrong with you if you don't follow us already? Get to it. I mean, if you do follow us, well, if you're listening to this, you probably follow us, but yeah, you may not do. Um, but we we have. It's fair to say that that yeah, we we've had a, a decent amount of traffic on our our Twitter page recently, probably partly thanks to Mark Merrow um, interacting with us. Legend. Um, legend. My um, favourite WCW performer of all time. There. So um, 
we we liked him beforehand. You know that that Absolutely. feud with DDP was classic. Um, so um, today, Marks, if you're listening to this on on the day we've released this, which is uh, Friday, March the twenty sixth, twenty twenty one. Today marks a, a very sad anniversary. It is twenty years today that the last ever episode of Monday Nitro, and for all intents and purposes, the last bit of WCW television. I mean, there was, um, there was, I think, uh, was it a Saturday a world, night? A worldwide, yeah. A worldwide. They did a worldwide that was kind of a, you know, because it's all regurgitated footage. And I think it had Shiavoni and Hudson yeah. recording the, 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 the in-betweens, the segues, uh, relatively new. But yeah, we, you, you know, when you're talking actual proper content, new everyone content, knows yeah. it ended with Sting and Ric Flair sharing a hug in that ring. Yeah. And the simulcast with... Uh, no, with, it didn't happen. Or, no, it didn't happen. Ended with Sting and Ric Flair. WCW, WCW ended with Sting yes, and Ric Flair. Ended. So uh, that was that was on this day 20 years ago, which is an incredible thing. It was that long ago. So... It got us thinking. It got us thinking because the original plan, and I'm I'm pretty sure this is mentioned in in Guy Evans' book, Guy Evans, who we spoke to previously, that the the original plan was that WCW would continue as a, a WWE or WWF as it was an owned company until there was that infamous match on Raw between Booker T and Buff Bagwell. Yes, uh, there was always it always felt like a, a duty of obligation, like they've just bought the competition, which beyond the initial hard on that Vince McMahon got from from being able to do that and winning the wars, he's then left with this. Uh, I wouldn't go as far as to say buyer's remorse, but he's left with this afterthought of, right, I've had the rush of sticking it to them because they had the audacity to do what I did to so many other promoters in the 80s. Um, now what? And they've got this roster of talent. You know, they, I think they, they optioned, what, 25 contracts? So they've taken yeah. on a lot of, uh, mostly the prospects, the guys with an upside. Uh, obviously, they've left the big money contracts of the big name stars alone for the time being. But they've got all the rights, the library, and they're thinking, well, it makes sense for us to try and do something with this if it will turn us money. And obviously, there was just all that uncertainty, because if you remember, just six days after that fateful night, you had um, WrestleMania 17 won the greatest pay-per-views of all time. Uh, They had Shane McMahon wrapping up his completely WWE-based storyline, feuding with his father. But he mentions WCW before the match. He shouts out the the roster members, mainly mid-carders like Lance Storm, O'Hare, Palumbo, Chavo, who are in a skybox for the event. And... um, at that point, you're thinking, right, they're making these references. It's obviously the elephant in the room. But for the most part, it was, what, how are they going to do this? How best to do it? And I don't think anyone actually knew the answer to that because, you know, they had a good product going on and they've just acquired this stuff, which was mostly for, I think they cared yeah. most about the type, like tape library. Yeah, and the um, well, absolutely, yeah. I mean, looking at how how the the world is now, you know, with the network, the, the tape library is uh, is absolutely crucial. But 
one thing I, I believe it that Guy Evans actually pointed this out, and it is a massive kind of head slapping obvious sign of either they didn't care or that they they were just not thinking beyond one week. The uh, the match between Booker T and Buff Bagwell, which was booed out the building, it held, was held in Tacoma, Washington, which was far from a, a WCW hotspot, um, where you know a lot of people weren't familiar with these guys. The following week, the following week's Raw, if they'd have held it off one week, it was held in Atlanta, Georgia, the home of WCW. Had they waited one week and put that Buff Bagwell challenging for the the world title of Booker T by one week, things may very well have been different because that crowd in Atlanta would have lapped that up and maybe history would have been different. That tells you everything you need to know, Dean. We've we've seen WWE do things masterfully and uh, you know if there's one thing you can't accuse them of, of lacking, it's it's the ability to promote and strategically make sure something you know think of the effort they put into someone like roman reigns if they want him to be the face of the company that was no oversight yeah they they did not want it they they wanted it to be booed out the building they wanted it to or or, or maybe not even boo that build but at the very least not get you know because generally you're like getting a positive response yeah, yeah massive heat is generally seen as superior to getting nothing. So they probably was hoping they got absolutely nothing because I think it shows in in their eyes, it it was, you know, there's nothing wrong with having guys like Booker T on board without actually having to convince him to jump ship. Yeah. Now, Uh, I mean, contrary to popular belief, it's worth pointing out that the following week, on Raw, because that, that Bagwell Booker T match was July the 2nd, 2001. July the 9th in Atlanta, in the Phillips Arena, um, Booker T did successfully defend the WCW world title against Kurt Angle, and there was also a big multiple person um, match between Team ECW, Team WCW, and Team WWF. That was but... the infamous episode. That was one of the, I mean, you if you remember at the time, Dean, you remember this, the buzz about that episode. Everyone loved it. It was incredible, mm. and it's yeah. easy to forget that. Yeah, you had yeah ECW, Bubba Ray Dudley, Devon Dudley, Just Incredible, Lance Storm, Mike Awesome, Raven, Rhino, Rob Van Dam, Taz, and Tommy Dreamer. So it's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So it's ten aside. Yeah, then uh, WCW was Chris Canyon, Chuck Palumbo, Mark Jindrak, Sean O'Hare, and. Sean Stasiak, oh, and teaming up against WWF, which is Billy Gunn, Bradshaw, Farouk, Hardcore, Holly, and The Big Show. Yes, a 20-man tag match. Yeah, so the the idea of that was, if you remember, right at the start of that episode was when they dropped the whole um, charade that WCW were just like a a good promotion trying to run, because they still had Shane McMahon in... um, in charge and he's still playing this babyface character. He's had the babyface feuds with Big Show, Kurt Angle, the famous King of the Ring Kurt Angle match. Um, and they dropped the shred where they actually had Shane McMahon turn on The Undertaker while he was trying to get his hands on DDP. And they've had this feel right now they're a United Front, now they're really trying to attack um, the, the WWE. 
And as they're having a, a feud match later, well, I think it was like a tag match with Kane and Jericho and a couple of WCW wrestlers. I think it was like Lance Storm. It was a couple of WCW wrestlers who had ECW links, wasn't it? Was it Awesome and Storm against um, Kane and Jericho? It was, yeah. Kane and Jericho against Lance Storm and Mike Awesome. And yeah. that was when um, Tommy Dreamer and Rob Van Dam showed up, which no one expected. And that's when you had the uh, who came out to make the save. You had Taz, Rhino, and everyone's thinking right there for the save. And they suddenly turn around, don't they? And that was that was that Paul Heyman feel this moment for the rest of your lifeline on commentary. So the whole episode was epic because that main event was, oh, well, WCW and WWE uh, at war, but then suddenly they've been attacked by ECW. Let's nip this in the bud. Five WCW, five WWE against ten ECW, but that was a swerve as well. Because <laughs> lot of swerves on that episode, but lots but of did, swerves. But it yes. did leave a mark. It was it had everyone buzzing. It was must see TV. Yeah. So so we've we've seen that you can get and you they could make really good TV with this talent that they had at their disposal. So the question we put to our Twitter followers was, we said, could WCW have continued running under WWE or WWF ownership, as was the original plan? So uh, various answers to this. The first, um, the first thing that, we, that, that came up was uh, people comparing it to the ECW reboot. So uh, we had uh, Navdeep Rahil saying, I doubt it. Vince McMahon only knows how to book one form of pro wrestling. The disastrous reboot of ECW is a prime example of this. Uh, whereas Jason Verin was a bit more direct by saying, depends how you feel about a zombie showing up in the first match. So they've, they've both got valid points there in, in that I suppose the ECW reboot really didn't it didn't have the feel of ECW, which was a unique anti-establishment atmosphere. I, the atmosphere of WCW wasn't massively dissimilar to WWF when you compare it to ECW to WWF, but there was still there was still a certain feel and a certain vibe to WCW. I guess you know things like the just things like the lighting, the presentation, the style of matches were always different, weren't they? Yeah, but th- therein lies the problem for me, Dean, because, as you said, what what is WCW's identity? How do you create a, a WCW-feeling show outside of a couple of superficial things you could do, like having the announce booth where Eric Bischoff and Bobby Heenan often were on Nitro? There's a couple of little touches you could do, but other than that, it's... It's just, it's a rival company, and and as a result, the only the only value it really had as soon as it become property of WWE for me is to run the rivalry because that's what that was. It was the Monday Night Wars, yeah. and even the two of us and anyone else listening who is a who loved WCW and has so many memories of the little things, we can all agree and appreciate that trying to recreate that is not easy because it's it's not like ECW. It's not like certain other promotions that had that, that genuine feel. They had their little touches they made their own, but but you can't really just recreate it somewhere else. Because this this was the original plan, wasn't it? That they that Vince allegedly was going to run Mon well presumably a Monday Nitro. I mean the it was often said that that Nitro would take the Monday TV slot was that was the original plan. Obviously, it never never came to pass, but that's what kind of inspired this question. 
it's hard to see that actually happening. And even if they had tried it, it would have never have worked because Raw yeah. is mega established. And most diehard wrestling fans know Nitro. But when you're watching a TV show that has portrayed them as, as goofs and failures, and to, to be fair, they have proceeded to spend two to three years prior to being bought proving WWE right and basically blowing themselves up. You, I remember that monologue you gave right at the very beginning, Dean, of our first episode where we covered Starcade 97 and then we, took, we briefly touched upon the downhill slope they went on, mm. how how WWE bought WCW for less money than Starcade 97 yielded for the company. Yes, uh, So it's not like WWE had to do much of a, spear, a smear campaign. As a result, it, it just seems surreal that they'd actually entertain the thought of replacing Raw with Nitro. Whereas, had they gone the other way around and given them SmackDown, you know, people consider SmackDown part of the furniture now. But at the time, it was only two, it was less than two years old. It had a, a rock based pun of the name uh, and obviously he was going to go part time very very soon if, if he hadn't already in fact he pretty much did after Wrestlemania 17 in fact basically dovetailed with the WCW rival you've got The Rock uh, mm. not being a full timer anymore yeah. so yeah you, you might as well just you know put Smackdown in the annals of primetime challenge other well known popular WWE concepts that only went a few years and um, and make it Thursday Nitro. So that's an inter- very interesting point there because a similar thing was echoed by uh, one of the people who responded to this, Kid Kahid, who said the brand was poisoned. The best they could do was give a WWE branded show to the WCW talent like SmackDown became all WCW guys, no WWE guys, but that would have also required WWE buying some of those Warner-backed contracts like the NWO and Sting. Obviously, the NWO came in a year later, Sting much, much later. Um, whereas on the on the uh, the flip side of that, something else, someone uh, by the name of Bootsy, presumably not his real name, um, says, uh, not a chance Vince and Co. had spent the entire company's lifetime belittling the product and telling the WWE audience that it was inferior. No amount of backpedaling would have persuaded most of the fans to try out the enemy, which I think is what you're you're mentioning there. And maybe that's why Vince set that, that Booker T. Bagwell match up, set it up to fail. Yeah, I, I just can't see any other scenario other than they, they they really didn't want to go that route. They had assets they wanted to use. It was a it was a storyline that served them for the period after the Attitude Era and the hot streak associated with it essentially started to fizzle out. Because you'll remember some of those. Well, they they ran what two or three pay per views in between. WrestleMania X7, which was like the pinnacle of of that, yeah. and the end of the Attitude Era, and uh, Invasion, which was the first full blown. Yes, this is war. The storyline takes centre stage aspect. You've got Backlash, you've got Judgment Day, you've got King of the Ring, and I've actually got fond memories of watching all of those. None, none of them are bad pay per views, but especially the main event scene when you've got so much. Uh, everyone crows about the two-man power trip. I saw Steve Austin was saying, oh, yeah, I wish it didn't end so quickly. But, uh, yeah, it was quite a dreary main event scene with just those two guys fighting Kane and The Undertaker while you've got the Jerichos, the angles bubbling underneath. So, um, 
they were in a bit of a purgatory situation and the WCW Invasion storyline gave them something fresh. But you have to then ask, and this leads on to another point that was made by some of our Twitter followers, that did they, you know, if, if they if they hadn't have um, run with a, a WCW company or promotion or pseudo promotion, and they have just, you know, which, which is what happened, that they've just kind of swallowed up a few of the WCW talent, would they have known what to do with them? I mean, we know that, you know, some of the undercard guys who were, weren't, the, you know, weren't the most expensive were, were brought in. Um, some did some did better than others. Um, but Dudley Eastbank comments, he said, um, it would it, it would have quickly lost all its WCW-ness had, had the promotion gone on. Because he does say, WWF never quite got WCW and how it was different. And you can see that in how many WCW stars never really fit in well in WWF. And he, he gives um, plenty of names, people like Luger, Vader, the Steiners, um, Sting, Goldberg, Wyndham. And, and it's a very valid point. I mean, I, I think that they never, they never quite captured the, the vibe, the essence of Goldberg. And then in reply to that, um, another one of our followers, Christopher DeSala, says, very true, they were booked very differently. Vader's reign in was short-lived and then became he became a jobber. Um, Vince didn't trust the process with Lex. Flash Funk probably would have been better as Two Cold Scorpio. The list goes on. They didn't fit well and they weren't booked to go very far. Um, so do you think they, they didn't fit the mould or they weren't booked to fit the mould? They weren't booked to go far? Oh, of course they weren't. I mean, if you remember the, the, the biggest examples, like acts like Mike Awesome and uh, O'Hare and Palumbo and how badly they were treated. And it wasn't even like, right, go out there and go. They, they were pretty much jobbed out, for, for lack of a better phrase, very early on. And if you remember, Dean, some of the reports going on at the time, we were hearing all sorts of from, from people who had a very good batting average of being reliable in this backstage information. And they were reporting back things like um, veteran WWE wrestlers making complaints about the, the new arrivals because they don't work the WWE style. That was a very, that became a bit of a meme before memes were a thing, weren't it? Mm. Mocking the WWE style because that's what they, uh, that's what they were supposed to be doing. There was all sorts of talk about guys who weren't introducing themselves in catering also became a bit of a running joke. And all these things were being used to, um, to, to try to mark them down, which, as, as you know, in any other situation in society, it's just classic politics coming up with any sort of ridiculous made-up reason to, to really criticise someone. Uh, and, and, and that's what it was all about. It was, you know, you, you've already got that built-in reluctance by Vince McMahon, as proven by his track record, to use anything that's not his and then every, every day he's going into work and he's hearing about, oh, this wrestler, he can't work. And we know some of these, I know like the natural born thrillers needed some more seasoning, but then oh. we also saw them give a decent enough account of themselves. You think of how great the likes of O'Hare and Palumbo were as tag team champions in the last three months. They, no doubt they were going to be better after five years or so, but they were decent enough then. And the, and the company needed a shot in the arm, but the company didn't want a shot in the arm. The company wanted to have the same old status quo. And when you look at the environment at that point, where they've no longer got any competition whatsoever, 
of course that's what they're going to want. They're going to go back to that status quo and make as much money as possible doing as little as possible. But we we know from looking over wrestling history that, that the WWF's best product has come about when Vince's back is against the wall, when he has got competition. I yeah. mean, even, even now, look at how the NXT product improved once it started going head-to-head with AEW. Yeah, he, he absolutely needs a gun put to his head. Otherwise, he's he, he's going to revert to type and he's going to take as uh, as many shortcuts for his own benefit as possible. That's that's typical business, really, unfortunately. Yeah, um, yeah the, the competition had just gone out the window. They owned it. And as, uh, do you know what? I, I really appreciate some of the amazing engagement we've had from fans on this as you said it's, it's been a great time to be on the because WCW twitter but i feel quite bad that we've had so much interaction on this one and all signs as evidenced by what people have been saying all signs point to the same answer on this debate which is it, it was never going to work the yeah. only chance people had was you had guys like booker t who had you know, as maximum credibility as possible coming into it. Not many people had as high a stock as Booker T as far as, as names that actually were uh, optioned and picked up. And he went in there and he realised that his value was going to come from what he could make of himself beyond the WCW angle because heaven knows, he, even he had to be knocked down a lot before he was built back up. Yeah. His peak in the company, which was the King Booker angle uh, and a serious world title reign, which was his only one that wasn't related to WCW, came five years after the invasion angle. Wow. Wow, didn't realise it was that long. He spent the rest of his time, well, he had that infamous WrestleMania match with Triple H, which basically just angered the entire diehard community. He had US title reigns, IC title reigns. He was a good hand throughout a bit. He was never going to get anywhere further. And the closest he got was the absolutely brilliant King Booker gimmick with Regal and Finley backing him up. (laughs) Two other WCW alumni. Yes, yeah. And I think it's worth noting as well that this, this sort of treatment goes back even further than that because you think about um, how WWF booked Dusty Rhodes in the early 90s. You know, a guy synonymous with the NWA, with WCW. um, And he's brought in wearing polka dots with a, 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 a large black woman as his valet which i'm sure vince mcmahon was was laughing at founding hilarious um and just generally mid-card as you say nowhere near a title nowhere near the main event picture you could say the same thing as um as as ronnie garvin as a former nwa world champion you could even say the same as terry taylor for for where he came into um, the NWA after um, the UWF was brought out. And and a similar thing happened there. Where the that UWF, was the shining example, wasn't it? Yeah, UWF was just, was was this, this regional company that, that they bought and they kind of quickly just merged the titles with, with NWA titles. They 
uh, and the company disappeared. And Terry Taylor, who was the UWF champion, he was told that you know he'd be in the main event, and because he he was you know at the time he was one of the most promising stars of you know young stars of his of his era. He just disappeared into the mid card, then went to the WWF and was made into the Red Rooster and never really re- recovered from there. I mean, we've seen him go back to WCW as the tailor-made man, a kind of a poor man's Ted DiBiase, but that that killed his career off. Um, I think the only the only person, uh, and we I think we talked about this with with Guy Evans again, but the only person who really kept his um, kept his stock kept his his momentum from one company to the next was Ric Flair. Yeah, I mean, you you just can't bring down Ric Flair. We've seen so many people try what Jim Hurd, Eric Bischoff, the yeah. list goes on. He he he's just irrepressible. So that's that's more of a testament to to the point than anything else that he he's always going to be the exception. But yeah, yeah. to think all the comparisons to the watered down WWE ECW are fair. But if you remember at the time, Dean, when we were watching all this unfold in 2001, even much younger, I was just a teenager at the time, but you're still thinking, right, just, just give me a good show. Give me, give me that, July 9th episode of Raw every week. Give me excitement. Give me something new. And we're watching it unfold and we're, and we're seeing everything get botched and the whole WCW thing just being swept into a, into a corner and assets stripped. Um, the comparison at the time was absolutely the UWF and Crockett because that was the shining example back then. Mm. I, I think the... The only, the only one of these, the only sort of you know, invasion angle, buying out, whatever you want to call it, angle that I can think partially worked was New Japan and the UWFI um, yep. back in the mid '90s. And um, I've just uh, just looked it up to re- refresh my memory, but uh, Wrestling World 1996, which was the Tokyo Dome January the fourth show, so the precursor to Wrestle Kingdom. And they had, um, among the rest of the card, they had three New Japan v. UWFI bouts. Um, the first one was just a six-man tag, which New Japan won. The second one was a ta- uh, singles match. Ricky Choshu beat Masahito Kakihara. So that made it that made it 2-0 uh, and you know, effectively ended the best of three series. Um, but then the biggest shock of all was that in the main event, Keiji Muto lost the IWGP heavyweight title to uh, Nobuhiko Takada, um, which I, re- I remember at the time was it was unheard of because this was the invading company's top star coming in and beating New Japan's champion. Now I'm trying to think off the top of my head who the WWF champion was in 2001 at this point in time. Was it Austin or what, what month was this? Was this Jan four? Um, this. January the yeah this was the Tokyo Dome January the fourth year but I'm Kurt just thinking Ang- around Kurt the... Angle went into the year as the champion but, he lost yeah, to Rock February and then was yeah, I'm just trying to think who would have been the champion at the time of the like the invasion angle um, Booker T whether that what the W no the WWF champ oh the WWF champ at the t- was Austin wasn't it it was Austin right so yeah. this yeah this would be the uh, this would be the equivalent of Austin against Booker T as a singles match. In Booker T's debut. 
in Booker T's debut, yeah. or not, even if you didn't have it as Booker T's debut, but you just had a title unification match, and Booker T wins the WWF title on a WWF pay-per-view. And I think just to have the the balls to book that is amazing. And it all it all boils down to the fact that the company that's you know, WWF won the war, but they didn't want to give WCW any credit for being a, a, a viable and a credible rival, I guess. Yeah, that's one thing. I, if, if I had the ability to time travel, I would go back to all of these uh, booking meetings featuring uh, a booking team trying to devise the best plan for their company who have just bought out a com- another company and they're doing an invasion. I love to go to all these meetings while they're deciding how to how best to crush the newly acquired assets. And I'll just love to occasionally walk up to them and start smacking them across the head while saying, you own all of these fucking people <laughs> with, a, with a slap punctuating each word. And we see if that gets through to them. Yeah, because to, to push the invaders as the heels that are actually dominating your company, guess what? That's going to get your fans behind your company. Look at the new world war. order. Yeah. <laughs> We've covered that plenty of times on here and we've we, marveled yeah. at how good an angle that's been um but you and, di- and the new world order was inspired by that wrestling world 1996 show because eric bischoff was in attendance at the tokyo dome and thought hey this is good with a little bit of wwf wcw overtones five years before we'd get the sort of um, real thing uh, i did also want to give a shout if we're going to say about um few places that have managed to do it successfully one of the better invasion angles i've seen it was on a smaller scale but big enough for diehard fans to respect considering the, the, the amount of things that need to be balanced in it is do you remember the 2006 ish independent feud between combat zone wrestling and ring of honor dean i i remember seeing it uh, i wasn't following it intently but i do remember reading about it now that was really well done where they delicately handled it so that there were a fair amount of wins on each side uh there there were wrestlers on each roster acting as heels to the other side generating heat on home turf um, you had a final blow-off match that gave both sides an excuse as, as to say, like, we were robbed or, or you know, because you know, Ring of Honor won the final match, but Combat Zone Wrestling had had an excuse and Ring of Honor had a, a reason why they were hard done by and their, and their out was okay, etc., etc. And best of all, I believe three of the major shows as part of this feud... They set up the 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 convention hall, the uh, the recreational centre, those sort of independent venue. You get that holds like five hundred to a thousand people. Yeah. They set them up with opposing bleachers, sort of like a football match where you'd have right. you know the away fans in one stand and the home fans in the other, and so they'd be doing chants at each other, uh, and no one has ever done that. And when you consider the fact that you know these were two completely standalone companies who went into agreement with each other maybe that's the only way to get it done yeah i mean there was a a similar-ish thing with um in in british wrestling it was a show i was involved in which was um a a feud between um ipw uk 
which was like the a a fast growing and and popular and fashionable independent at the time down in the southeast of England and the FWA who were like the established uh independent promotion in the southeast of England and it culminated in um a series a show held at um at IPW's home venue in Orpington and it was uh, um a series of matches culminating in um in the champion versus champion with the, the, the losing promotion to fold and the, uh, and IPW won it and the FWA folded. But that was because the FWA was ceasing operations in any case. And it was kind of agreed to do this as a, um, uh, you know, as a, as a good angle where you, where you already knew, you know, those of those behind the scenes already knew what the outcome was. But yeah, that was a similar thing in that one half of the hall they had all the IPW fans sitting in another half of the hall. All the FWA fans were sitting. So again, you had, as you said, you had that that rivalry between different halves of of the crowd. Yeah, it's just such a great atmosphere. And whether it's from yeah. an invasion angle or something else, it's you just wish you see a little bit more of it because it's a great idea. Listen up, slap nuts. That's right. This is Jeff Jarrett, the chosen one, and you're listening to because WCW. Now choke on that. Okay, so so yeah, we have largely established, I think, the the you know the massive massive landslide majority um, on that question on Twitter was you know, as as you've said there, Liam, that there is just no way realistically that Vince McMahon would have allowed WCW to continue running even if it was under his control yep. just because of egos. Um, but we then we received uh, a tweet from uh, a chap called Jake Pugh who said, how would you have booked WCW's first pay-per-view under WWE's ownership? Take contracts and money out of the equation. Everyone's available. What would you have done? So this then got you thinking about your uh, your fancy book in your Fusion fan fiction, What If Fusion Had Bought WCW, which uh, is available on our website because www.podbean.com. How, how far are you up to on it now? Yeah, so via the Google Docs that I initially write it up on, uh, I have just written WCW Lockdown 2007. You'll see a few parallels there between a certain company that was, unlike WCW, alive in mm. <laughs> in the mid-2000s. But yeah, spring of 2007, I've got Slamboree 2007 featuring the Crockett Cup coming up next. Um, and that, that, that is how far I've gone. If you read the op- episodic version on hookedonwrestling.co.uk, head to the features page, look for WCW 2.0. I basically take the these episodes i've written up over the years on google docs and i'm 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 just fine-tuning them making them look a bit better with formatting and i'm pasting them as week by week episodes uh that is currently caught up to early 2003 adds a few extra graphics it just looks a bit better with formatting i fix a few errors it it looks nicer like that but if you want to binge the whole thing yeah 2001 to 2007 and still going very nice. So, so this prompted uh, you to post uh, on our Twitter page the question of the fact that the Big Bang pay-per-view was set for May the 6th, 2001. We even had a picture of the poster up there, um, had they continued. Um, so we asked our uh, Twitter followers, 
we want you to book the matches for that pay-per-view. What would you go for? Um, we also tapped up our old mate, David Penzer, um, for very good reason. Cause when, when you interviewed him, um, I, he was, he was going to be one of the, the creative inputters, wasn't yeah, he? Jo- Johnny Ace's assistant. Uh, and Johnny Ace obviously would have been head of the booking committee. Johnny so, Ace, uh, better known to some, some fans, obviously, as John Laurinaitis. People power! <laughs> yeah. Um, so David Penzer said, my belief was to build Scott Steiner as a monster and bring Goldberg back to beat him. Not saying that was the plan, but that's what I understood. Um, which, you know, you've, you've got two, the two established main eventers there, and I think a match that the crowd would certainly have, have popped for. Yeah, I mean that—that that was one of the best things about late WCW, wasn't it? They had a couple of absolute belters, especially that full brawl, two thousand match. They—they mm. they were one of the few good things about the top of WCW. Uh, but yeah, but do you know what? When that, when Dave said that, it did strike me. If you think about that late WCW. Uh, the way they did run in January, February, March with the Magnificent Seven faction that Scott Steiner was like the crown jewel, WCW world champion. Uh, it feels like that's exactly where they were going. So that makes sense that Dave would say that, but I have to suspect because you've got to think of how exactly WCW lands, say they do survive and Fusion buys them, do they necessarily just keep on trucking after spring breakout? Uh, I, I believe it's been confirmed by a few places that probably not. They wouldn't have been running nitros, even if they were bought out. They would have needed that break, and it would have been a proper reset with the yeah. May sixth pay per view. So because of that, and because then you start to think, right, who would actually be kept on? Obviously, there were some ridiculous disciplinary issues in late. You remember with Kevin Nash just shamelessly <laughs> yes. trying to get Scott Hall hired, which really rubbed up Warner the wrong way. Uh, Scott Steiner was still getting in fights with the likes of DDP. So it makes you wonder if they do hit this reset, they're probably looking at, right, we, we, we do have to trim some of the fat as far as problematic wrestlers. So yeah. I don't think it would have been as simple as just carrying on the storyline that they were doing seamlessly. It would yeah. have been that easy. Um, I mean, yeah, we. I'll go through some of the, the cards that uh, some mm. of our um, some good ideas followers have come up with, and and you know, it's not only is it interesting to see what people have, yeah, who people have got, but it's also interesting to see who people have not got, who's been omitted from this. Um, so uh, Cezanne Isai, who, who uh, listens to us all the way from Melbourne, Australia, so pretty much the opposite end of the world to us. Um, he says uh, Steiner beating Booker T for the world title, DDP beating Mike Awesome, Ric Flair defeating Jeff Jarrett, Shane Douglas beating Dustin Rhodes for the vacant US belt. Um, O'Hare and Palumbo beating Stasiak and Jindrak for the tag titles. Lance Storm beats Canyon. Helms beats Jason Jett for the Cruiserweight title. And the Young Dragons are defeated by Kidman and Ray for the Cruiserweight tag titles, which, of course, they, they brought in right at the very end there. Yeah, I, th- I think some of, the, some of the timelines of the titles are a little bit off there. 
for instance, Jason Jett wasn't a cruiserweight champion. Uh, but maybe this is done based on the assumption that it would be no, a I think, weekly I think show. Jet, yeah, I think Jet is challenging there. And Helms, I'm guessing Helms is the champion. Ah, gotcha. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, there's a few, because I know, um, obviously, Jindrak wasn't a tag team champion. The thrillers were essentially done at this point. And because uh, the tag team of O'Hare and Palumbo kind of rose from their ashes. Yeah. And there was a pay-per-view. We covered Super Bowl Revenge already on this podcast. And um, f- fellow former thrillers, Stasiak and Jindrak, kind of did the whole jilted, jealous, we're, we're better than you guys. We should have the belts challenged unsuccessfully. Other than that, they're pretty much done. Stasiak had, had his new gimmick. Uh, Jindrak was kind of just floating without direction. I don't think he appeared. Did he appear on WCW after Super Bowl? That might have been his last. I'm not sure. Um, so yeah, a bit of it was a was a bit of a loose end, but it's it's, it's easy to forget where some of that is, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, okay. And um, so then we've also got uh, Unco Dion, who um, again he has a uh, Steiner uh, against Booker main event for the world title. Um, one that's uh, a really interesting uh, matchup. I've, I've just looked it up, and it only happened on one Nitro once, but Sting v. Lance Storm. I th- we'll come back to that in a minute. Um, then a four-way number one contenders match, DDP, Goldberg, Jarrett, and Flair. Um, I like this. Ray uh, Mysterio and uh, Helms in a ladder match for the Cruiserweight title. Canyon um, and Bigelow v. Palumbo and O'Hare for the tag belts. Kidman and Skipper for the U.S title Stasiak v awesome uh squash are awesome and luger and buff in a pose down um so another steiner booker um main event sting v lance storm that that's just got um big big time kind of sting and malenko nitro match vibes to me as something that could be a real underrated match of the night Absolutely. That, that, that is one of the things that stands out to you, that if WCW survives under Fusion, in their back pocket as a pay-per-view match, absolutely they run with that. Likely not as the main event, but then Sting was, as you said, Sting was always adept at being able to have good featured matches, maybe just one or two matches shy of the main event. Against yeah, look at the um, the match with Regal that we covered just, just a little covered while ago. That, that's a perfect example. So yeah, he he could do this aimlessly, uh, but I think I, I won't get into exactly how I view a potential thing, but I will say. I believe I ran Sting versus Storm on the November 2001 pay-per-view on my own fan fiction. So even with myself, I know that that's absolutely something yeah. you want to deploy. Yeah. And I mean, Ray, Ray Mysterio v. Helms ladder match, you couldn't go wrong with something like that. I mean, Ray Mysterio doesn't do an awful lot of ladder matches from what I can remember, but I think something, you know, something against Helms, who is very adept at that, would be would have been great. Yeah, I, I, I'm into the idea of Helms in a ladder match very early in a few. I go a slightly different direction, but again, I'll detail it after. But yeah, you've basically, one, one of the big things that happened just before the end of WCW was, was um, Helms' crowning moment. It happened at Greed, the final pay-per-view. He Whoa. finally dethroned Chavo Guerrero Jr., at which point, this is my mandatory moment, Dean, where I mentioned that Chavo Guerrero Jr., as Cruiserweight Champion towards the end of WCW, was one of the low-key greatest little runs of a mid-card title ever. He was fantastic. He had great matches. He elevated so many of those Cruiserweights, such as Helms. 
uh, in that, and you you had a, a genuine cruiserweight division on your hands, considering that a year before it was Medusa versus Oklahoma for the cruiserweight title. Yeah, Chavo Guerrero was the linchpin of reviving it with all that young talent around him. Absolutely, and um, we uh, yeah we reviewed Greed back all the way back in episode number seven. Um, so uh, yeah, go if you go to our website because www.podbean.com or just go to wherever you get your podcasts from and find episode number seven, which, if memory serves me right, was the first episode where we got our audio right and we didn't sound like we were locked in toilet cubicles next door to each other. Potentially, or, or the one after, but I do remember that ep- the first seven episodes, one seven, we basically deliberately selected pay-per-views to go from Starcade '97 to. Agreed. We just to, went. To that, end, yeah. We just wanted that Cliff's Notes history of how they managed to somehow self-destruct in three years. So that's exactly yeah. why we covered it so early. Yeah. Um, Francis Reyes says um, totally buff v natural born thrillers v Team Canada World Tag Title Match DDP v Rick Steiner. Disco Inferno v Shane Helms for the Cruiserweight belt. Scott Steiner v Booker T for the, uh, as the main event for the World and US titles. Uh, Sean Stasiak v Sean O'Hare v Jeff Jarrett in a three-way as well. So um, that's you know, largely um, largely pushing the you know, younger talent and, and going in the direction that, that, as we've mentioned, WCW was going in towards the end of its, its run. Absolutely. I, I am now starting to believe that whenever someone refers to the thrillers in the tag title match, they are talking about O'Hare and Palumbo because they were they were the last WCW tag team champions. And also um, they are exactly the sort of perfect example of what you're saying there about great young talents coming through. You know, the natural born thriller stable was, was just this big collection of green wrestlers who were put on TV too early. But towards the end, you, you had the two more most capable guys of it making a makeshift team. And you you remember covering Super and Greed. They, they made them look like stars. They Ooh. they beat uh, Nash and Page with a bit of help. But they beat uh, Luger and Bagwell. Luger and incredibly Bagwell, yeah. decided. They were hell-bent on making him look like the team of 2001. And, and that's definitely one thing I, I emphasised was that they were... They were dominant in the tag ranks if 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 those yeah. don't carried on you make them the tag team goldberg definitely yeah and i mean obviously they didn't have the same charisma as goldberg but who did but yeah you've but got they're going that model in smashing to... duos up yeah big yeah. double teams you've got a six foot guy who backflips off the ropes they're hitting crisp super kicks big power moves you've got the swanton bomb O'Hare is clearly a future star looking at the whole dichotomy of it but Palumbo ended up doing pretty well he, he ended up coming back to WWE a lot more seasoned do you remember he had that little run yeah he, he was never a bad wrestler Palumbo he's always decent no. and very big and marketable yeah, um, then uh, Jamal Lewis said um, he'd have booked an elimination fatal four-way for the tit- WCW title. Booker T, DDP, Goldberg v. Sting, Jeff Jarrett v. Ric Flair to see if Flair still has it. Conan and Rey Mysterio for the US title, which you know is always going to be good because of the way those two know each other. And then an open challenge by Scott Steiner, which could link to a debut for someone. And the reason I mention this is because this links in beautifully with something that was brought up by a couple of people, but... Um, um, uh, most notably Simon Strong, who says about um, based on storylines before it closed and possible ECW pickups, because, of course, as we mentioned right at the beginning when talking about that classic episode of Raw, 
ECW had folded up in, in January of 2001, so there would be plenty of ECW talent available. I think half of them had gone to WCW at one point or another anyway. Um, so Simon comes up with um, Booker TV Sting for the world title, Flair, Jarrett, um, Rick Steiner, Luger and Buff, the Goldberg, Page, Nash, Cat and Rhodes. And that's the first, it's notable, that's the first mention anywhere of Kevin Nash. Um, Canyon v. Storm v. Van Dam v. Douglas for the vacant US title. Um, he goes on Helms v. Moore for the Cruiserweight title. Rey Mysterio, Kidman v. The Young Dragons for the Cruiserweight tag. Hugh Morris v. Sabu. Um, which is an intriguing matchup. O'Hare and Who'd Palumbo. Who blow the most spots? <laughs> O'Hare and Palumbo v. Doring and Roadkill. Um, tag titles with the last ever ECW champs. Awesome v. Douglas. Jason Jett v. Chavo v. Skipper v. Romeo v. Styles v. Super Crazy v. Noble v. Kid Cash. So, man, you'd have a lot of matches and a lot of people to get through. But, again, just look at that talent pool. Mm, it's easy to forget that Kid Cash had already showed up in WCW, so he wouldn't even be an acquisition. He he was there. He uh, I think I think he was part of the was he part of the cruiserweight tag title tournament. He definitely showed up a couple of times on Thunder, along with other along with other new that. acts such as uh, Air Raid. Air Radio, Air Paris, and uh, I, I was watching the um, the AJ Styles uh, documentary on um, the network the other the other day, and yeah, there was uh, footage of uh, yeah of Air Raid on on WCW there. Yeah. Air Raid and Air Styles, they were market, which makes sense because you know you bring them in as like a marketable tag team, but mm. you know you just know that AJ would have been breaking through very very soon, uh, yeah. and my fan fiction pulls that one as well. Yeah, just reading here, two months after ECW folded, Kid Cash signed with WCW where they billed him as Cash. His only match was on the final episode of Thunder, airing on March the 21st, where he lost to Jason Jett. And then that same week, WCW was purchased by the WWF. Great opponent to give to Jason Jett because uh, Kid Very Cash and so. Easy Money had some bangers in 2000 yes. ECW. They were doing the, uh, was it the top rope powerbomb into a Hurricane Rana spot? They were just tearing the house down. So, yeah, it's a safe pair of hands to put in there with him. And you'd imagine that's part of the brand spanking new cruiserweight division if WCW carries on. If, uh, if, yeah. And then one, one final one from, um, Tom Campbell, radio DJ, who uh, followed us and, and dropped us a line. Uh, he says, I fancy booked this years ago. He's got uh, the title match as Booker TV Sting, the new leader via legend wanting one more run. Goldberg v. Scott Steiner, no DQ, let's let them rip shreds off each other. Rob Van Dam v. Jeff Jarrett, Garrett, Jarrett playing gatekeeper to try and keep the ECW invader out. Um, and then I love this. WCW promised to revolutionize tag team wrestling with a 16-team tournament inviting talent around the world. The winning team gets a shot at their division's tag title. In a twist, get a contracted WCW legend to oversee it. Call it the Dusty Cup. Uh, Tom, dude, love love you, love Cold Holic, but they own the Crockett Cup rights. Just bring Crockett Cup back. I think he just went to make a bit of a joke because obviously NXT Dusty Classic, later yeah. brought their own Dusty Classic back. But, um, but what's interesting here is Booker TV Sting, yeah, the the new the new pretty much a new you know almost new blood v millionaires club in a way. Yeah, it's that that premise. But unlike the the NWO 
era guys, I could see Sting cleanly putting Booker T over there to to pave the way for him for a long reign for him. Absolutely, uh, it did come up more than once. That was definitely another match. wasn't wasn't didn't, doesn't have the novelty of Sting Lance Storm, for instance, because they did go back and forth a lot. And you'll remember Dean as we're covering the watch-alongs. There's a lot of interaction between Sting and Booker T even then. But then you can play into that. So it's a very story, yeah. very WCW rivalry, and yet it still has a degree of freshness because Booker T is less than 12 months into the main event scene at this juncture. Um, so yeah, I've I've really enjoyed seeing some of these takes. It's 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 nice seeing things like Sting and Booker T come. Given given that I wrote this years ago and I've I've moved to 2007. Should I should I, should I roadmap the first couple of months maybe of go mine? on yeah go on okay so obviously what what interested me about how people approach this question I like to answer I, I like to pose open ended questions for people to answer because. You, there, there's enough interest in what their answer is, but also you get to see a bit of insight of how they interpret the question and how they approach answering it, which in itself is, is just as intriguing. Now, for the purpose of what we put on social media, we didn't actually say what the situation was between uh, the spring breakout Nitro we saw and the Big Bang. But um, for all intents and purposes, for, for what I wrote, the, the situation was this. It did look like it was going to fall through. Eric Bischoff hinted on previous Nitros that that we don't know what's happening. So we're doing the Night of Champions. It's going to be a season finale. But hypothetically, maybe the day before the announcement came, on, it was on the Friday, wasn't it? Three days before, March 23rd. The WWE buys WWE. But in this scenario, Fusion had managed to talk the Turner Networks round somehow, and and I'd also like to think in that in that alternate universe they managed to somehow convince someone manages to convince those W to keep Animaniacs, which was another victim <laughs> recently brought back. I loved Animaniacs. It is Absolutely back. Love that Animaniac. They've they've re they've remade the brand new Animaniacs. I have to send you a link. Uh, and there's also a new version of Ducktales, which is awesome. Oh. So all the good stuff's coming back. Yes. We've got wrestling on TNT. We've got Animaniacs. We've got Ducktales. Life is how it should be. So. At the 11th hour, they've cut a deal, and that means they can use the, the talents. The, the 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 deal is is that the weekly TV show will now be on a Saturday because there's no point fighting the Monday Night Wars. The Monday Night Wars are dead. The competition's over. WWE are number one, but WCW stands to be able to make money by not fighting the war because, as we've seen with TNA and AEW, there is room in the market for two major promotions. So they're yes. operating on that basis, and they are going to do Saturday Nitro. See what I did there? Oh. WCW Saturday, yes, night, Saturday Nitro. Yeah. Yeah. And it starts at 6.05. Oh, lovely. As it should. So there's a bit of there's a bit of various eras in that. Perfect time for it. But the thing is, is the spring break at Nitro actually happens pretty much how the real one did, with the exception of there's no McMahon's all over it because they didn't buy it. But the matches are the same. So right, you have Rankin and win the Cruiser tag titles from Skipper and Romeo. You have, um, I think. Was it O'Hare and Palumbo defend against Team Canada? Booker T wins the unification match against 
uh, Scott Stein, and he does have both the belts. And the show ends with Sting, Ric Flair having their match. They have an emotional hug. Other members of the roster come out too, and they have like a farewell. No one knows what the fate is. Then, as I said, likelihood, no TV shows. You've got a month of nothing other than some guerrilla marketing, some hype on the website, this, that, and the other. And the premise that there is indeed a pay-per-view, May 6th, the Big Bang. And yeah. just to, because you're kind of getting trying to get people to buy it based on a mystery, which doesn't always sell with pay-per-views historically, but you're also throwing in a little sweetener, people who buy the Big Bang will also get Slamboree later in the month, two pay-per-views that month. But if you buy Big Bang before the Big Bang airs, you get both for the price of one. Buy now, one, get one free. And the Big Bang pretty much has more of a special episode of TV feel than a formal pay-per-view because I'm not going to waste big matches on this relaunch. It's going to be like a special edition of Nitro uh, with a premise that there'll be big names and the two-for-one, hopefully, people will still buy it. And even if they don't, you're, you're building up to it. Now, on the Big Bang, you have Bischoff introduce it, cuts a promo, says we're back, now I'm the owner, we're going to keep living, we're going to do things. He formally announces, in in your typical opening talk bit, he formally announces that Booker T will have to relinquish the US title because he can't be both. Booker T's in the ring as part of it, he comes out, he's in the ring, and that gives the opportunity for the Magnificent Seven to come out for the confrontation, threats to beat him up, etc., etc. Bischoff's like, no, Flair's not the owner anymore, he can't run these sort of plays, not on my watch. He says the main event in this pay-per-view is going to be seven versus seven. Magnificent Seven as a faction against seven of the faces of their past. The sort of now, guys they've been messing with. Yeah. Now, um, if people can't remember, because it was obviously 20 years ago, who, who the Magnificent Seven faction, who was in that? Yeah, that was a storyline they ran quite late on. While they were getting coherent, they had a collection of heels come together with Ric Flair, who's playing a babyface CEO, doing the big ruse at um, Sin. Uh, I think we covered that as well. Maybe not. Yep, I, don't know. We, I We've think co- we have, yeah. I think we have as well. We'll have to double check. But he, he does the ruse that he was behind this all. He's back to being an evil boss. And part of his collection of heels, you had the WCW champion, Scott Steiner. You had Rick Steiner, who they... Like they they swindled the US championship onto him. Uh, you had Lex Luger, Buff Bagwell, who often teamed up as Totally Buff and ran Goldberg out or cheated Goldberg out of WCW. Jeff Jarrett's in there, and you've got road warrior animals like the Heavy, the Enforcer. Mm-hmm. So you've got this group because that group's still there from before. We're making this big main event. They're going to go up against some of the guys they've been opposing in this feud, almost like a blow-off to that particular chapter. Obviously, you've got Booker T. You've got Dustin Rhodes, who's run afoul of them, and he had the he had the storyline with Flair and Jarrett Denny, where they kissed kissed the ass's ass. Do you remember that? Five concussions. Mate. Sorry. <laughs> well, they had that great that comedy match at Greed. Do you remember it was a. Uh, Dustin and Dusty against Flair and Jarrett. Flair, yes. Kiss, with, kiss um, my with, ass match, and they brought out yes, Donkey with, with, on um, Nitro. With, with Flair in, the, um, in like a Hawaiian shirt or a tropical yeah. shirt or something, wasn't he? Yes, yes, yes. So as a result of that, you can put both the Rhodeses into the match because it's a full-team-man tag. Dusty ain't got to do much. Uh, you say you've got Booker T, you've got Sting, you've got Nash, you've got Goldberg. 
So you've got a big collection there and you've got like that big superstar tag main event. Um, you, this is also where you have the announcement of Saturday Nitro. You find out that's going to be happening. I think all the cruiserweights, so you've got the cruiser champ, Chavo Guerrero, his challenger. Uh, you've got Skipper and Romeo. You've got Ray and Kidman who've just taken titles from him. You have a six-man tag, you know, all the champions in one match. Heels get the win. Builds the same a little later on. Um, and you've got the start of the US title tournament. I won't run through all the exact matches. Read it up if you want. But the one thing you need to know about that tournament is that included in it is a mystery member of the bracket. And it turns out to be the debuting Rob Van Dam. Because obviously, if you're going to have all these uh, ECW wrestlers up for option, he's arguably the one who deserves the big star treatment. You know, everyone yeah. else will kind of just make a more low-key introduction. You let their in-ring work win over following. But Rob Van Dam can just show up and be a big unveiling. Um, in the main event, obviously, the Bay faces win. Uh and it also involves Goldberg taking out Animal because he's now vowing he's back for revenge. He's going to end the Magnificent Seven. Turns out in the road to Slambury, it's easier said than done because at the pay- at that pay-per-view, you get your rematch where Scott Steiner challenges Booker T for the title one-on-one because he is due a rematch. So that's your main event. Goldberg wipes out Buff Bagwell and Lex Luger in a handicap match. Proper squash truly has his way with them uh, and that really sets him back as, as being back and he gets his revenge on the guys that run him out uh, you'll remember at the end of Greed Rick Steiner helps Scott retain against DDP so that's a nice quick singles grudge match, you've got uh, DDP versus Rick Steiner on the show um, and the most interesting one of all these tail-offs as, as the Magnificent Seven starts to disintegrate is you've got Jeff Jarrett, who is not happy that Ric Flair showed emotion at the final Nitro and hugged Sting, and, and he's been kind of in play ever since, where they've been trying to say to him, look, the Magnificent Seven, it's not you. Come and and embrace the fact that you bleed WCW. We all love you. Come back. So he finds himself in the middle of Sting and Jarrett. Uh-huh. in that debate. So he referees a singles match between the two and he keeps it right down the middle. But obviously to a heel, that's not good enough. So Jarrett Jer- is not happy that he's lost clean to Sting and Ric Flair has not been a biased referee. So he slaps uh, Flair and he gets a right hand to his trouble and there's your babyface turn. That leads to the Great American Bash where Ric Flair can face Jeff Jarrett one-on-one. And you can do the whole thing about, you know, as you said, he's wrestling a Hawaiian shirt, wrestling a Nitro T-shirt. By this point, he can be motivated and ready to come out in his trunks and actually show a bit of the old flair. And I love how one of the guys said they'd do a match where, was it? I can't remember who it was. Oh, has Flair still got it with him against yeah. uh, Jarrett? Let me just see who yeah. that was again. And, that, and this is my um, way of leading That was, yeah, it. Jamal Lewis. Um, Jeff Jarrett v. Ric Flair, does Flair still have it? Yeah. And this is how I lead into it. It's a, it's a logical storyline. He showed that love of WCW when it looked like the company was over. His career flashed before his eyes and he realised he was WCW more than he was a, a corrupt heel owner. And it causes the dissension there. And Jarrett's move after that is to um, actually start his own faction, an anti-horseman, and I called this, given that he's the chosen one, I called his faction the chosen few. Uh, 
Uh-huh. And then that's and that's Flair and Sting and, and their friends in a feud with Jeff Jarrett, uh, the debuting CW Anderson, who, you know, oh, another East W pick off. And he's got the arm tie in with Flair. Yeah. Um, and I think they also pick up um, Mike Sanders, Shane Douglas, who hates Flair, makes sense. And Mark Jindrak, who needs a direction, needs a stud. So, so they've got like this ragtag group to try and destroy Ric Flair. That leads to September, because what happens in WCW in September, Dean? Fulbrook. And... War games. War games. There we go. Meanwhile, the main event of the Great American Bash, I won't go much further than this, uh, because the Magnificent Seven has been finished and disbanded, and because um, Goldberg has come back on a hot tear, he makes a logical sense to be the next number one contender. So you've got a battle of the two aces, Booker T and Goldberg. And I think they only had like a a singles match on Nitro where Russo's booking wasted them. So you do a big pay-per-view match. Goldberg actually wins the title. So he finally gets that title win he never got since the 98 streak. But the thing is, is Booker T's not happy that because he thought he was going to be the face of the company from here on out. So in the rematch at Bash of the Beach, he turns Hill to win the title back. And then he's got a whole lot of chatter because we saw Hill Booker T in WWE at this point, and he was pretty good at it. So it makes sense that he would go in this run. Um, the US title tournament ends at Slambury. The finals is Rob Van Dam. He's just debuted. Makes sense he goes all the way. He yep. faces Canyon in the finals. Canyon cheats to beat him. You remember Canyon actually had a cup of coffee with the US title in WWE TV when it was handed to him. And he's a deserving US champ. So that's a, And obviously you do the chase and... Rob Van Dam ultimately wins the belt off of him a couple of pay-per-views later. And one of my favourites is after Scott Stein has finished with his uh, rematch and he fails to get the title back from Booker T, he takes a different approach to trying to get gold back around his waist. He goes back with his brother and he changes O'Hare and Palumbo. Because what better way to mint the new tag champions than to have them beat one of the greatest teams in WCW history? Yeah. So if you want to see more, I could, I could go on and I could do an episode just based on this. But, go, <laughs> but if you're into that sort of thing, and I really have enjoyed I've had guys um, like messaging me and engaging about and where can I get the link for all this? What would you have done? I've been shooting the breeze from all week has been amazing it really on on a sad time thinking back about the end of WCW for us uh those diehards it's been really good to to engage with some news about our hypotheticals and our fancy booking and for those of you who want to read up a bit more of this yourselves um let us know where we could we can sort out the 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 exact address but basically if you go bit you know these website bit.ly so bit.ly slash capitals WCW 2001 that will get you started and and there'll be links to all the other years from there uh, it's also on hooked on wrestling you know we, we, we're yep, two we, years into yeah, it every, every so often a new one of those drops in yeah it, it, we're doing it episodically style still going there yep hooked uh, on wrestling.co.uk which is also a great site for all your wrestling news as well oh man yes it is but um I mean yeah the uh Obviously, a lot of this also is uh, is based on the fact that um, people, uh, when asked, you know, if the Steiners are asked to put uh, put Palumbo and O'Hare over, that uh, the answer wouldn't be nope. Although that was more Randy Savage, obviously. Uh, but um, that's a whole another discussion for a whole another day, which we have touched on previously. The the infamous backstage politics, but 
but my goodness, I think I think it's safe to say that we've all concluded that WWE owning WCW would never have worked. But had Fusion taken it over, as was the original plan, had WCW continued, then my goodness me, there would have been some classic matches uh, ready for us. The potential and, for, you just have to hope that they don't yeah. do what previous WCW did and screw it up. Because, because they did have we, previous. Yeah. Because as we said, the last couple of months, you know, the, the, basically 2000, WCW in 2001 was actually pretty bloody good. Um, but I think, unfortunately, there was hardly anyone watching by that point because of what had happened in the in the previous uh, year or so. But, it was uh, a death rattle, wasn't it? Yeah. Going yeah, that strong because they knew they were donezo. But hey, but um, yeah, so 20 years, 20 years since WCW shut up shop and like you said, Liam, diehards, WCW diehards like you and me, we, we miss it all the, you know, we, we miss it. We miss it every day. It is, it, the wrestling world has not been the same since, but uh, such such is life, sadly. But that's that's what gives me hope, though, to be honest. So it, although it's sad and bleak thinking about how WWE were, were never going to do those stories justice, it really has cheered me up thinking that we've been doing this for, for three and a half years now, Dean, and we've had such a good time looking back at the, at the ridiculous and the sublime and the amount of engagement we've had on social media. And you like to think we're only going to continue to keep finding more like-minded fellow WCW lovers others and even Absolutely. some we've even encountered people who weren't really around at that time but have found it on the network and like wow i like some yeah. of this i want so it's been it's been great to to still be able to use its legacy to reconnect with fellow fans Absolutely, that's the beauty of it. You know that some people might be a bit disillusioned with with wrestling right now, or or like myself, you're finding it really, really difficult to watch wrestling without a live audience because the audience is such a, an integral part of the wrestling business. Um, so yeah, you can just uh, trawl the archives and and really start getting into some some old historic wrestling. But we could talk about this for ages, but we will draw a line at that point. Um, and I think. We'll wrap up uh, episode number eighty-nine, which you know we're we're getting to that that point, like you know a cricketer on eighty-nine runs. You start thinking about the century, Liam. We're not that far away. Yeah, and that's when we LBW, isn't it? Say again, sorry. That is when we LBW. If you want to make when a, we LBW, yeah, yes. you're going to make a cricket reference. At least be able to keep up with the rest of them. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't hear what you said with your exotic East London. Are accent. you trying to say my Cockney accent to tells you to hear? Are you? And uh, given that um, a, a good fifty percent of our listeners are in the United States, cricket is basically posh baseball, but it can last for five days. I think but that's it's not as good as baseball. I know I sound like a traitor, but I prefer baseball. <laughs> <laughs> I have I I've never really watched it. Maybe I should. Uh, maybe when when the world opens up, maybe uh, you know we can uh, we can go to to a game if I ever do one over here or something. You call it silly boys rounders, don't you? <laughs> hey, I've I've played I have played softball before, a la Sid, but I haven't played baseball. <laughs> I like that hey. reference. So well, yeah, we got we got to just uh, you know bookmark it and wrap it up at the end with a, a WCW reference there. So, listen, folks, thank you so much for downloading this episode wherever you get your podcast from. As Liam said, we really, really do appreciate it. We appreciate the the uh, interaction with people on the socials. 
We are on Twitter at Because WCW. We are on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Because WCW. Um, do drop us a line. Do give us a follow. And we'll be back very, very shortly with what well, we've got. Another, I think the next uh, next thing on the agenda is the uh, post um, Great American Bash 96 Nitro watch along, isn't it? I think that'll be a good one to do next. Very much so. And then uh, we'll be back on the pay-per-view trail with some guests very shortly. So on behalf of Liam, this is me, the Twisted Genius, saying thank you for downloading us. Please keep supporting us. Please do rate and review us. Until next time, we'll see you ringside.